Plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we're going to talk about something a little bit different today. We're going to talk about neutralizing natural disasters. And of course, when I say that, uh, many would start to think you're going to stop an earthquake or stop a fire or maybe intercept a tsunami. No, but we're going to talk about all the things that we can do to mitigate that risk, all the things that we have to consider in reducing the risk posed by natural disasters. And certainly with things like climate change, but also with the rapid growth of urbanization, particularly urban areas close to areas, the interface with the natural environment, and it being in risk areas where there's earthquakes and other things that can hit them, uh, looking at natural disasters, incorporating that has become more and more important. Okay, this is gonna be a great show. And uh, you know, I agree with you, it's about mitigation and managing uh, response. You know, what we used to think were uh, one event every 500 years, a black swan, is now turning into a flock of seagulls all, all, all of the uh, all the time, always on. So what, what do we do? We, we've got to um, just not focus on outstanding acts of God, but look at what's, what's going on in the business world in terms of risk mitigation, preparation. Um, and we've got some resources to talk about that, but first let's set the table with uh, what's happened more recently. Well, as we've seen, uh, Maui with Lahaina, and I know I've been to Lahaina. I believe you've been to yeah, Lahaina, course, yeah. too. It's a beautiful little town. Uh, of course, if you go up there in that whole kind of poly area, that was the quintessential town. As, as a good friend of mine uh, pointed out, a uh, longtime emergency manager, he said, when you think about Hawaii, you know, the whole state, it, for many, they picture Lahaina. That is kind of the quintessential Hawaiian town. Of course, it was wiped out by this fire. And there's no shortage of blame to go around. I mean, the county is blaming the power company. The power company is kind of trying to shift that blame elsewhere. And then we see other disasters. Of course, we've seen you know what's happened in with the with the hurricanes hitting Florida. And we've looked at all these different disasters and preparedness, thinking about these things as you mentioned as black swan events. That just doesn't work. They're happening, and, and there's other things out there we have to be aware of, and we have to mitigate that risk. But more importantly, we don't have unlimited resources, so we have to prioritize what we're focused on. Right. So, so for example, very close to home uh, and, and, and very timely, insurance companies are exiting uh, California and Florida. So that's, that's not just a high-profile event. That's a broad-based example of you know how are we going to respond to that from a business and a personal uh, level. That goes actually to even recruiting talent into our, our California tech centers if they can't insure their homes. I mean, these are broad-based considerations. Another quick point, 
between 80 and 1980 and 21, uh, the U.S., our fortress North America, suffered roughly seven, eight natural disasters. Over the last, since in 22, we've already experienced that and it's increased, increased, extrapolated through 23 into 24. This is the new trend that we're going to be facing. Well, and, and you look at various things, you know, we, <clears throat> we don't often think about this, but for example, the pandemic. And during the O's, uh, I worked on uh, pandemic influenza preparedness here in the United States, overseas. Uh, some of this was in uniform. Some of this was working as a contractor for various public entities, the government, uh, the federal government and others. And, and we looked at the, our preparedness for pandemics and we recognized then that we were woefully unprepared and there was a national pandemic plan. But even as late as the fall of 2019, when I was uh, giving a speech to the uh, security side of the tourism industry, and we looked at pandemics, we talked about pandemics, you could tell there were many in the group, the, the fairly large audience that were looking at me saying, yeah, but I don't know if that's really gonna happen. I'm not sure if that's really a, a big an issue. And a lot of them probably saw that as an act of God or a black swan event that they didn't have to worry about. Well, sure enough, you know, a few months later, everything gets shut down, which is exactly what it is. So it's not just looking at these disasters, it's looking at our industry. It's looking at the supply chains, it's looking at the customer base, everything in the industry, and recognizing that this could have a disproportionate effect on what we do. Right, and that's a great segue. Uh, you know, all the traditional models and uh, are, are, are past uh, loss experience, actuarial tables, they're not gonna be predictive for the future any any longer. So where does that take us? It takes us to a brave new world. You know, circle back to the idea of now, okay, we can't get uh, uh, insurance in California and Florida for many, many situations. So what the actuarial tables, okay, are going to have to be reframed on a forward-looking basis, which is gonna introduce a new discipline into, you know, how we, how we structure, how we capitalize a business, how we, um, Look forward to expensing and responding to any of these risk factors that are that are coming up. As as we said, it's no longer the black swan. It's could be four or five events a year as opposed to four or five events in a decade. Well, and if you look at some of the stuff that's come out of a lot of this is post 9/11, post Katrina. Uh, various different models have come out from FEMA or different spreadsheets or tools, if you will, like that, where they look at various risk factors. Some of those are okay, but it, but there is a problem. And the problem is, if you hand this off to one person or two people, say, hey, go out there and assess the risk, what you're gonna have is one person or two people's opinion, view, understanding of that risk, and it leads for a very scoped in, very limited viewpoint that doesn't address all the risks out there. You know, if you go back before 9-11, we used to do a comparative risk assessment model, at least throughout, say, for example, the state of California, where it actually originated, it goes back to the early 80s, where we'd look at a variety of different risks. We'd get a, a very large audience input on it uh, across the board. We would rank it, and we'd weight the different factors, history, vulnerability, maximum threat, whatever it is, across the board. And we'd end up with something that gave us a good foundation on which to really focus our efforts for prevention and mitigation of various natural hazards. So, so, so that's a great point, and I think you should, we'll, we'll build on it because the, what's happened is with the balkanization of responsibility and, and responses, we don't have the benefit of that coordinated federal overview, which we, we, you and I have talked about. Now, FEMA is the update, and this should I throw this back to you, is, is getting you know more effective uh, 
in this area, but we still, in the Republic nature, have a you know a, a, an isolation of response. I mean, I we don't naturally have an integrated overview at this point, but we're going to that, and we'll come back before this podcast is over to talk a little bit how ESG is going to drive some of that integrated response. Well, I think ESG is a big driver across the board because it's making everybody look at things differently. And with ESG, of course, climate change is a big part of what's considered within all those investments within that entire uh, area. That's that's kind of a driver, if you will, uh, within the ESG investment community. But but with that, you know, FEMA has been improving in certain areas, but there's other areas where I don't know if we've improved or not. I have to tell you, there's there's been a number of discussions I've been in where we, we are constantly asked the question, are we better off now than we were 20 years ago? Are we better off now post 9-11 than we were pre 9-11, which I guess kind of dates the group that we can all remember pre 9-11, okay. But, but we, all, we ask ourselves that and we look at these things and then we see these various disasters. You know, We mentioned Lahaina and Maui. Uh, if you wanna go back, Paradise in California, uh, if you want to go back further, you know, we saw the horrific hurricanes, Hurricane Ian that hit Florida, the, the more recent hurricane that's, that just happened in, in northern Florida. Uh, but various hurricanes, floods, fires around the world. Of course, Canada, where you originally hail from, uh, I think it has two seasons now, extremely cold, and then fire and smoky. All right. Um, so uh all this is changing stuff it changes the risk matrix but it also changes the way that we understand things across the board and it changes the way that we have to assess those risks so i you know always trying to be a happy camper but there's one point i do want to introduce here and uh we're going to focus on the positive elements of esg but uh, we, we also have to be careful too much too fast is going to it can create economic distortion and we're, we're, we always bring that up in these podcasts but th- a regulatory overlay is, is very important. What we see in the dynamics of ESG, env- environmental, social, governmental, uh, for, for those that don't know that, is it's, it's very important, but we don't want it to become distorted and an end of its in its own self for the benefit of, say, an investment vertical that is over-empowered with it and then creates, by definition, distortions within the market and uh, unintended consequences. So we have to be careful with that. We, we are very hopeful that there's going to be uh, a confluence with the ESG drivers and the insurance industry. The insurance industry is going to, is, needs to be and will be elevated, I believe, to drive and introduce discipline into business decisions as to whether we're, we're, uh, factories are established, distribution lines are maintained, and there will not be a doubling down of areas that have proven to be uh, exposed to natural threats. You know, I, I just want to get into some of the natural threats. Uh, for example, if you're next to an area that has wildlands, whether it's trees or brush or whatever, and you're not taking those uh, important mitigative steps before, you know, clearing brush, keeping stuff away from buildings, also the type of construction with the buildings, things like that, you're just inviting disaster. At some point, I think we have to recognize that fires will ignite there. Same thing with storms. Storms are gonna come in, there will be flooding. You know, we're recording this right now in the in the Greater Palm Springs area. Greater Palm Springs in August had the, you know, essentially the remnants of a hurricane come through and wipe out uh, large areas of the city. 
you know, Palm Springs is a pretty dry area. They don't normally think of flooding, but in the desert, you have to think of flash floods and flooding. That these are area, these are all things that have to be taken into consideration, and this should have an all hazards matrix. You need to look at all the different hazards, and then you need to critically analyze each one and figure out a way to rank them. And I kind of go back to that comparative risk assessment model that we were using. We still use it in the Department of Defense around the world. We use it in other sectors. But it's looking at, at, at all hazards and then coming up with, shall we say, mitigation or neutralization schemes, if you will, to, to basically reduce our risk for those specific hazards. Right. So, so that, that's a perfect perfect segue. I mean, listen, we, we have limited resources. With an all, all hazards analysis, that creates the, the, the impetus that, no, you are not going to double down if there's a proven trend and we are not going to rebuild and you are not going to be and the government will not refund for a second go around or and insurance companies are going to take, make the same point. We've already covered that. The resources are going to dictate what we can be actioned on our, our, our threat matrix. And basically, we have to triage the threat matrix. And, uh, these are all terms meaning ranking the threats A through Z. This is what we're going to come to those tools in a second. But that's that that's a consideration, a mindset that has to be introduced, not just well, actually throughout the organization, but championed at the C-suite, actually championed by the board of directors. We feel very strongly about that as well. We're going to cover that in greater detail and likely in another podcast. But that's culturally what's got to be done to manage the resources to the existing threat ma matrix that is updated, it's ongoing and organic. By the way, this goes into things like corporate wargaming, which you and I have a long background in, also various types of different tabletop exercises and stuff like that. These are things where you need to get the C-suite, if you will, but also it helps to get others, the entire organization involved in. You know, I, for years back out in the West Pacific, I won't get into all, this, all the uh, details is exactly where, we had a collection of private sector and government entities looking at various different types of, of threats. One of their big things was typhoons or hurricanes, not something that we don't see here in the continental U.S. as well. And we were actually, we built a essentially a red team to emulate the storm. And, and we had, uh, you know, we had the, the, the red cell, the white cell that controlled the exercises. We kind of blended those two together a little bit and we emulated what the storm would do. So they would come back and ask questions and we would fill in the, the blanks in terms of what was happening, what the parameters were. And what that did was it gave them a dynamic scenario to think about that. Now, kind of goes back to, you know, chance favors the prepared mind and what Eisenhower said, which is, you know, uh, peacetime plans are useless, but peacetime planning is priceless. This was, you know, the storm isn't gonna do exactly what we said, but if they think through all these things, it makes them better prepared, their mindset for whatever they plan or whatever they do afterwards. So so, so let me just respond to that. I, I completely agree, and we're not gonna go into all of, the, all of these exercises that we've executed, but um, what's important here is we don't want this to be intimidating. I mean, the point is you can never solve for every possible situation. Uh, but what you can do and hope to do is to be directionally prepared so that it's not a dead stop when something goes wrong. The mitigation is much more effective if you have an idea of a directional idea of how to respond. It's not, and then you can refine the tactical and update uh, as you go forward. One element to get there is a continuity of operations planning exercise, you know, a coop. Um, and it's just not an IT offset. It's, 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 it's nuanced, 
It's it's culturally driven, uh, and it's it builds on elements of communication. Uh, I don't know if you want to expand on your background there, Hal. Or well, in looking at continuity of operations or continuity of operations planning, which is what COOP actually stands for, uh, you're looking for the entire business enterprise. You're looking for supply chains. You're looking for manufacturing. You're looking for that human capital piece. You know, if they physically can't get to the place to do work, uh, that's a big issue. It's looking across. You know, originally when they talked about COOP, uh, I remember many times I'd see COOP and it was, we're going to have an IT offsite. And the whole thing was our our banks of computers, if you will, our, our IT section, were afraid could get wiped out in a tornado or a hurricane or a flood or whatever. So we'll have an offsite. Okay, good. That's it. Uh, mission accomplished. They go home. And, and of course, something would come in and it would shut down the enterprise. In many cases, the IT part was actually okay. The, the continuity of operations plan did not address the entire continuity of operations, and it has to be a more holistic methodology. Yeah, I, I think you know, you, you, we, we've doubled down on the point about the, the natural focus on uh, data and, and IIT redundancy and so forth. But actually, if you, if you go through your, uh, your org chart, culturally, it's very important to recognize uh, you know, everything from who, who ex, uh, is a key leader in a certain area that could be critical to their, now if they're isolated, if you, or in, in sadly in some case, you know, disabled in, in, in a situation, where's the redundancy plan on a personnel level in addition to your data level? So th- th- this, is, this is where you go to the holistic nature. Um, you know, one, one point we wanna be clear on is that to dive down into this, do not be intimidated. We can give you some information on the business uh, insurance, how that, that the world's going to be impacted by that, by climate change, and, and any other you know disasters out there. Our black swans or, or, or now flock of seagulls, as we say. Uh, Hal will give you the information. We will we, we, we can prepare checklists for you, and uh, off this will be a, a, a excellent resource for you. Yeah, by the way, if you have more questions, if you want to drill into this, you know, we only talk about so much in the podcast, uh, but we can get into this uh, more. Uh, if, you, if you're interested, go to GRIPSA, uh, that's for Global Risk Intelligence and Planning, uh, which is the, the name of the company. Uh, SA, kind of for situational awareness, but uh, GRIPSA.com, that's G-R-I-P-S-A.com. We address all these things uh, more in depth. We can talk about comparative risk assessment models, how that works where you look at vulnerability, history, maximum threat, probability. Put this into a, a more useful uh, matrice. And by the way, if you're wondering, does this plug into to FEMA, to a FEMA Thera, you know, threat hazard sort of a matrix? Perfectly. I've done this with companies. I've done this with government entities. It plugs in perfectly. It just plain works. That's right. Uh, those resources are available. They're current. As I said, they're, they're organic. We, we keep them updated. And uh, actually, I, I, a key point, we, we make them we make them relevant. Um, so we really believe in the uh, accessibility and application of, of what we're advocating here. And I don't know if we neutralize natural disasters, but hopefully this discussion sets a pathway to reducing the risk associated with natural disasters. And by the way, It also works with man-made disasters as well. STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kempfer and Mark Mansfield. Podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.